You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let me pray for us and we'll get going. Um, Jesus, thank you for today. And thank you for the loving guidance um, that you offer us. And I pray that you would bless this time. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. I ask you spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Margaret, would you mind shutting that door? Thanks so much. All right. So we are doing a series um, called The Bible and Parenting. If you're somewhat new to um, new to the Advent, this class is called Faith and Family. And uh, every week we have stuff about how to spiritually invest in your kids. And so we've been doing a series about the Bible and parenting. And we're doing what we call a biblical theology, a BT. And that is, uh, you know, there's theology that is biblical. Hopefully, hopefully all theology is biblical, but that's not always the case. But um, this is a biblical theology, meaning that you're looking at a discrete topic in a certain, like in a, in a, in a designated section of Scripture. So we're looking at everything the Bible has to say about parenting. And um, I'm going to tell you, as evidence here, in this passage, uh, the Bible doesn't have, doesn't have a ton of like practical instruction on parenting. It's pretty limited in terms of explicit stuff. And so um, the, uh, the, w- one of the things to, to grasp and capture is that the principles of just being a loving Christian person m- primarily inform your parenting. We'll say that. And so we've done, we've looked at um, what the Bible has to say about parenting in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and we talked about we em- the emphasis on um, connection, cultivating connection and intimate relationship in a family. Then uh, we looked at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, same thing. And then um, we looked at Proverbs, and Proverbs had a lot to say, but it particularly had to do with um, operating in the fear of the Lord, meaning recognizing that God's God, we're not we have a little role. God has a big role, and you know, operating from that position. So today we're going to look at the Christian household code, particularly in um, Ephesians chapter five, and we'll just dabble a little bit um, in Colossians chapter three. And so, um, to start, here's the kind of where we're going to be going with this. Uh, there's kind of a duality in being a parent. Of in one sense, like you are given God-given authority to be a parent. You're the adults in the room. Um, meanwhile, you also, and this feels like, you know, 96% of the job is like serving your kids, changing diapers, fixing, you know, fixing breakfast, fixing lunches, uh, picking up toys, um, driving to, you know, driving to baseball practice, uh, driving the water bottle that was left at home up to the school for lunch, you know? And so, so much of it is service. And so um, we're going to talk about how, how is it that we live in the tension of both the authority that God has given us um, and live as a servant, a Christ-like servant to our kids. And, you know, it seems like um, it's problematic when we go to either extreme or we neglect either of those and we don't live in the tension. If you are all about the authority piece, you usually are kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know, you're kind of a dogmatic, um, dogmatic, uh, strict, 
distant parent. And that's, that's an overemphasis on the authority to the neglect of the servant. If you're all servant with no authority, then you become the buddy parent who, you know, just wants to be friends with your kid and you don't, you know, act like an adult and discipline your kids. And that, that's a big temptation. Um, that's a really big temptation. And so living in the tension, that's one of those things that our world is not very good at. Our world is not very good at living in tension. And yet that's like critical to kind of living a faithful life and a sane life as well. Um, so with that being said, let's talk about the household code first. That's where we're going to begin. And so in the Greco-Roman world, um, there was something called the household code. And there were notable, um, and it was kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to say it's an expected thing, but it was a common thing that the premier philosophers of the Greco-Roman world uh, developed what they called the household code. And so basically some of those included Cato, Philo, Aristotle, Aristotle's most known. And so basically they saw the household as the backbone of society. And so the parties in a household and the dynamics were a husband and a wife, a uh, you know, child and their parents, and then uh, slaves. And so now one thing to note is that um, the kind of slavery that was practiced in the Greco-Roman world was not the kind of slavery that was practiced in the United States. The, well, the, the kind of slavery that's practiced in the United States is called chattel slavery, which is where a person is involuntarily abducted and put into slavery. Um, in uh, the Bible, uh, if a person did that in Israel, uh, they would receive the death penalty. So the kind of slavery that's practiced in the United States was very, very, very vociferously condemned in Scripture. Um, another thing about slavery in the Bible was if a slave ran away, this is in the Old Testament in Israel, if a slave ran away, the owner had no legal recourse to make them come back. And so the purpose of that was to put the onus on the owner to treat the servant well. They, in, in the biblical servitude, it was someone would enter in voluntarily in order to pay off a debt and um, to pay off a debt for a certain amount of time. And, um, and then after that time, the, 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 owner would, you know, the owner took care of their debt in exchange for their service. And so because the owner had no um, recourse to make them come back, if they treated the, the servant poorly, um, it, was gonna, it was to their disadvantage to do that. And so it incentivized an owner to treat them well. So, um, so with that being said, that, that quote-unquote type of slavery was also practiced in the Greco-Roman world. And you can imagine that there were power dynamics such that even though, um, even though it was voluntary, even though it was for a set of time, even though there was you know, mutually agreed on terms, servants were often taken advantage of and treated poorly. So with that being said, in the Greco-Roman world, something that's interesting, I don't want to say interesting, something that's notable, is that all of the expectations were on the person in the disempowered position. So the, the, the household codes of Cato, Philo, Aristotle only address children, only address wives, only address the slaves. Doesn't address the husband, doesn't address the, uh, the owner, the master, and doesn't uh, address the, the, the dad. And so with that being said, the basic message of the Greco-Roman household code was 
hey, you people who are disempowered, you need to get in line. You need to comply. You need to obey uh, you know, the person who's in the position of authority. And that's how society works. And there were also, um, the person in power had a lot of entitlements and a lot of rights. Um, and so, yeah, there was, there, was, there, was, there was not mutual expectation. There was no standard of conduct for the husband, for the dad, for the master. And so the Christian household code um, is very different. It's, it's radically different than what was, um, what was the norm in the Greco-Roman world. So that's, that's one thing to understand. Because when you read this, like we get into it and we say, um, you know, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself savior. This looks really, it, it can look from a modern mindset, very misogynistic, very chauvinistic. What you're going to find is actually, in the context, it was radically feministic. And we'll talk about why. And that's why... The early church was majority female. Why is that? Because in Christianity, women had rights. Women had dignity. Women had protections. And so with that being said, women who were objectified and, uh, and, and denigrated actually had dignity and status and protections in the Christian church. You see this today in Iran. Uh, women who are abused in Iran... Uh, in the Muslim world, don't have any protections or recourse under the law. And so with that being said, they actually have protection and dignity in the church. If a husband mistreats his wife, the church holds the husband accountable. And so the reason I'm kind of getting all like spirited about this is just to say that like, I can understand if you don't understand the context, how you could read this and, you know, as misogyny, but that is an uneducated view of what is happening here in the Christian household code. So we'll talk about that. So that's the first thing, is understand the context. Second thing is look at what precedes the Christian household code in Ephesians 5. Key, okay, so Ephesians 5, at the beginning, there's the starts a new section. Uh, the first part of Ephesians has talked about the gospel at the big picture level. It's talked about the gospel at the individual level. It's talked about how the church fits into that. And now... It's moving into what you'd call the hortatory section. And that means that it's the section that's like, okay, Jesus has died for your sins. Um, you have received the grace of God. You're in union with Christ. You've received the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean for our life? And so that opens in Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the therefore, that tells us, okay, we're, we're, we're making an application here. We're making a conclusion. And so be imitators of God. This is how you conduct yourself as beloved children, remembering who you are in Christ, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the, begin, the, 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 the uh, verse and the concept that is driving all of what is going to be said in the Christian household code is to live a life in response to the gospel, imitating the model of Christ, who was a sacrificial servant, who the, the way that he exercised his power as God on earth 
was to love and serve people um, as a suppliant. So with that being said, that's, that's the driver, sacrificial service. Well, now we go down to verses 18 through 21, 18 through 21 in Ephesians 5. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get ready! Key! Verse 21! Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the call here is that the believer is to submit to everyone from a, out, of, out of love. And the best, a good way to capture this, Philippians chapter 2, here's what Paul said. Now, Paul wrote Ephesians. He also wrote Philippians. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Okay. So that is not, this is a, the universal treatment and posture that the person in Christ has in all relationships. That of, your needs are more important than mine, and I am here to, to serve you uh, above myself, okay? And so that, that conceptualization is foundational and what drives what he's going to say in uh, the Christian household code. And so there's, it doesn't, you're going to see, it doesn't say a ton about parenting. This is really all the New Testament has to say about parenting. I'm going to just drop down to, um, uh, to actually, it's the beginning of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There you have it, folks. Yeah, yeah. Woo-hoo. That's it. So, so that's where we're going to go. But you've got to look at this, the stuff that precedes it and the concepts that are, that are functioning um, in the rest of the Christian household code because you're going to see, again, these different, um, you're going to see these different power dynamics that are set up. You have wives and husbands. And in the Christian household code, husbands are addressed. Husbands have responsibility and accountability. In the Christian household code, the parent, the dad, See, you notice, you notice it says fathers do not, uh, do not provoke your children to anger. The reason it doesn't say fathers and mothers is because in the secular household code, dads were not addressed. So that stands out to make a point like, hey, men, like you're accountable too. Like you have to love and serve too. And so that's why it's not fathers and mothers. All right. So now let's get into the stuff. Uh, starting with wives and husbands. So wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so a couple of things to unpack here. So first off, when it says wives, submit to your husbands, keep in mind that we're all called to submit to one another. So... Um, so notice that. Second thing, as to the Lord. Now, these passages have been abused and misinterpreted to oppress and victimize women for centuries. I cannot, it is atrocious to think of the number 
of, don't say a profanity, it's not honoring the Lord, it's not going to be good to say a bad word, don't say it. The number of stupid, we'll leave it there, stupid male pastors who have told women who are in abusive marriages, you need to submit to your husband. And those women have been abused or killed. I mean, I have a friend in here who's represented women who have been in those situations as an attorney. And very often it's male pastors who have been the, the great, the egregious mis- mistranslators of this text. Um, so, but when it says, as in the Lord, sorry, I don't mean to be hating on the guys today. Sorry, guys. <laughs> We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Don't worry. Um, but, uh, but with that being said, when it says, as in the Lord, that's saying, as is, as is biblically appropriate. Like, don't submit to your husband if he says, hey, go cook some meth in the back trailer, you know? <laughs> you, know don't, you don't submit to your husband if you're being you know, mistreated, if your dignity is being violated, if you're being exploited. That's what the as in the Lord means. Um, and so then when it, um, when it says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, um, his body and its savior, um, a couple of things. One is, the, the, I'm just going to say it, like in any, any group of people, any you know, system of relationships, somebody has to be held accountable. Somebody has to be identified as like, the buck stops with you. And, that, and, and here, you see consistently in the Bible, the Bible says like, husbands, the buck stops with you. That is not, that is not meant to give a husband, you know, insane power to, you know, make edicts and things of that nature. Um, but it, 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 is, it is like there has to be a person who's held accountable. Um, and on top of that, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I've heard, um, heard Tim Keller and Kathy Keller talking about this. And they were talking about, um, like, when does that power ever use? Because I don't know about you, but generally in a healthy marriage, um, in a healthy marriage, the way that it works is you're constantly kind of like talking through and praying through things with your spouse till you reach a consensus. Like you continue to come back together like, okay, let's pray, let's think about it. Uh, and when, when there's like a disagreement, right? That's what happens in a healthy marriage. And you get to a place where, you know, you're like-minded. But if there is a point where a decision has to be made, a tiebreaker vote has to be made, then it falls on the husband to make the, the decision if you can't come to a place. I'll give you one example where a pastor stepped in. Um, not here, not in Birmingham, somewhere else. I know of a situation in a church where the husband and the wife could not agree on the baby's name. <laughs> and it persisted for two and a half years. Okay? It did. That's where the pastor needs to, after, I don't know, certain amount of time, to say, Ralph, like, figure this out. Like, make a decision, okay? You know, there, there are times when there has to be a tiebreaker vote, and it, it, and it doesn't, but I will have to say, never in 15 years of marriage have I ever had to make a tiebreaker vote. And so we've always been able to pray and kind of work together to come to a place of consensus. Um, so anyhow, so, so there's, there's that. Um, okay, now, so, so also wives to submit in everything to their husbands. Again, as it's not saying everything like, if your husband tells you to go cook meth. We're not talking about that kind of everything. It is, it is pointing out, though, in everything, it is pointing out that, like, your, 
it's pointing to the priority of the relationship. That one of the commentators said that it's what is being part of what's being communicated is that loving and caring for your husband should be your top priority over worldly concerns. And as a husband, loving and caring for your wife is a top priority. This is this may not this may be something that you have not heard before, but like in the like hierarchy of life, relationship with God is number one, relationship with your spouse is number two, and relationship with your kids is number three. Spouse comes before kids, and so that's part of that's 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 something that you can kind of uh, glean from that. So I mean, is the room hot or am I just sweating because <laughs> because of all the all the hot, hot hot button topics? Okay. All right, so now, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might represent the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Um, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All right, so this, folks, I I mean, I don't mean to accentuate this over and over again, but this is like radical, absolutely radical in the ancient world that husbands would, number one, be held accountable and say you have responsibilities. Two, to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that is like sacrificial love, like being a servant, whatever that looks like, um, to bless and honor and dignify your wife. Um, and, um, and then it goes in and it talks about that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the wife. We've, we talked about that or we've already read that. But basically part of what's flowing here and part of what you see throughout Ephesians is that love is what transforms a person. Um, not being shamed, not being criticized, that there's a place for, you know, for, for criticism or rebuke, but love is what actually transforms a person. And so the aim of the husband is to love and serve their wife in a way that the love of God flows to them and is personally transformative. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when we all know this, whether it's a, a friend or your spouse or a parent or a grandparent or whoever it is, when a person loves you really well, like that transforms you in a good way. And so you, so you see that going on. And so then notice how he talks about um, the, the, a, a woman's body. He says, uh, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Some of this is pointing to how, like, the point that's, that's you know, kind of reinforced a little later about the oneness of a husband and wife, um, because, you know, the two becoming one flesh, but um, that, like, hey, you're, you and your wife are one. And so, like, to mistreat your wife is to mistreat yourself. Um, to not honor and cherish and nurture your wife is to not honor, cherish, and nurture yourself. That's part of it. But also, too, I think part of what's going on here is, not that this has ever stopped, but you can imagine... In, a, in the ancient world where women had no rights um, and they were objectified and seen as like less than human, you can imagine um, that with those power dynamics, how women could be sexually exploited uh, within a marriage. And so part of, part of what Paul is saying here is, you know, your wife is not a piece of meat. Your wife's not an object. Um, she's to be treated in the way that, you know, with the value of one who Christ has died for 
and, um, and you know, with respect. And so you can see that there as well. And so he, he, he um, goes on to say, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she, that she respects her husband. So there's that mutual um, self-sacrificing love, that mutual respect and dignity conferred to one another. All right, so now getting to... Oh, you know what? Honestly, we could stop there. It was so funny. One time I went to uh, a church. It was Oak Mountain Prez. Uh, I, don't, I was like in my early 20s. It was like Father's Day. And you know, I was like a 23-year-old. I'm like, what am I doing? Great, it's Father's Day. Here comes the father sermon. You know, totally, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a girlfriend at that point. And, um, and all the dude talked about was dads loving their wives. It's like, this is interesting. Yeah, so he preached on it. It was a Presbyterian church, so it went 40 minutes, of course. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, for 40 minutes, that's all he talked about. And then and he ended, he's like, because if you want to bless your kids, bless your, be, like, if you want to be a good parent, be a good spouse. Like, that's the starting point. So there's something to glean from that. But then this flows into children, uh, you know, next dynamic here, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that it may that you may live long in the land. Okay, so back to this whole you know tension of you have authority, like you have a role, you're the adults, you're the parents, and you're being a self-sacrificing servant, you know, it is it's critical for kids to to learn how to obey their parents and to be disciplined in this. Uh, because if, as I say to my kids, like when they disobey, look, the reason I have to discipline you is because if you don't obey dad, you're not going to obey God. And if you don't obey God, life's not going to go very well. And that's, that's, that's a, that's a, you know, a, a little bit of a, tra- you know, a translation for a five-year-old of what's said here. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. And so you have to be the parent, like you have to be the adult. Um, and you have to, he goes on later and he says, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, discipline having to do with like, you know, teaching through correction, instruction having to do with, you know, like teaching your kids. We talked about that a lot last week at Proverbs. Um, but yeah, if you have to live into that authority role as the parent, um, or else your kids aren't going to learn how to obey. Um, that you're, it's a, you're shortchanging your kid when you don't, um, when you don't uh, live into that. And I think something that's, well, let me, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so then next, you see, though, that it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, and, you know, p- both, you know, moms and dads both can do this. But, I mean, like, I, I know exactly what he's talking about here. You know, when you were just, like, sick and tired of your kids, and they've been so bad, and they've been so ungrateful. Not that my children are ever this way. No. But you get to a point where um, you are just fed up. You are sick and tired. And it's like, because I told you so. Go pick up every acorn in the grass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? We know what it's like to kind of fly off the handle, lose our junk, and, you know, out of exasperation, do things that are going to frustrate our kids. And I, I can feel that in my flesh times when I am I'm mad I'm super pissed off, and I then kind of feel in my flesh I'm not being an adult. I'm, I'm not being patient. I'm not being respectful of my child's dignity. And, uh, and instead of like being reasonable and patient, it's 
you know, because I told you so, go pick up all the acorns. Um, so he, so there's, you know, there's a call there um, to end the authority that you're given to exercise that with patience, with integrity, with respect for your child, and with kindness. Um, that doesn't mean you can't be firm. Lord knows we need to do that at times. But there's, there's, there's a, you know, a call to that authority piece. But then all of the, um, all of the stuff that precedes it um, is that the person, in, the person who has the authority, the parent in this situation, is to be a self-sacrificing servant to the child. And so something that's, 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 um, something that's valuable here is, you know, we have to, we, we need to kind of be, operate with the authority of a parent that God has given you. God has given you that authority. Um, and we live in that tension of being a self-serving, a self-sacrificing servant to our children. And so you can probably just, you can think about and pray about and maybe even have a conversation, probably not with your kids, they will totally uh, capitalize on this, but probably with your spouse, um, where where you're like, where do I tend to, where do I tend to err? Do I tend to like be a little bit too much of the buddy parent who doesn't want to exercise authority? Or do I tend to be the, um, the, you know, the, the boss, you know, the honcho who, um, who, you know, tends, you know, tends to get exasperated and then, you know, act, act with impatience towards your kids. And something that's really helpful is to, to really unpack and dig into, by the way, if you give each other feedback, be really nice. <laughs> but what's important is for us to look into our own hearts and to, and to ask the Lord to show us, like, what, what is the, the, unmet need, the, the, need, the unmet need um, that is prohibiting me from living in that tension? You know, like, do I, uh, do I really need to, like, live under the affirmation of the Lord? Do I really need to have better community? Uh, because a lot of times the buddy parent is really just operating out of isolation. They, they desperate, you know, they, they're in desperate need of connection, and they depend on their children for it too much. And so to be the authority is to jeopardize this one critical central piece of connection they feel in their life. And that's why it's really, really helpful to, you know, to focus on having an intimate marriage, but also to have friends, you know, to have community uh, and people that you're living life with outside your family so that you're not operating, you're not depending upon your child in a way that forces you to not live in that tension. And then um, on the, you know, on the, the boss parent, for lack of a better term, the harsh parent, like what's going on there? Is, is it, um, you know, is it a need for control? I think that, that I would say for myself, when I go in that direction, it's like, I want control and I, and I can't control the kids when they're disobeying me and they're acting bad and they're complaining. I want control. I want to be affirmed. And I then overcorrect and go into this. I'll show you. I'm going to get control. That's, that's kind of, I think, a lot of times what's going on there. And so, um, so yeah, I think that w- the way, part of the way we live in this tension is, um, first off, like understanding what our tendencies are. Um, and seeing like where is the unmet need that we need met in Jesus, such that we can be a servant to our kids, um, and we can also be uh, the authority figure that they need, who disciplines and instructs them, and um, yeah, and gives them that comfort uh, that there's there's an adult in the room, which you all need. So I'm going to pray, 
I cannot hang out after this. I'm sorry. I have to pre- preach the 11 o'clock service and get on my dress. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. So, but yeah, if you want to talk more, give me a call, shoot me a text. Love the chitty chat. Um, all right, God, thanks for, uh, thanks, thank you that you're a great servant to us and thank you that you've served us in the person of Jesus and you continue to serve us by your grace uh, and your provision day in, day out through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And so, um, out of that, Lord, help us to live in this tension of, of being, you know, being the authority that you've made us to be, but also being a servant to our kids. Help us to, um, love and lead them with uh, patience and with um, humility and dignifying that they're made in the image of God. So trust you, ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.